The waters of the Atlantic held many secrets, but they couldn't hide the torment that raged in Walt's heart. The distance between Walt and his son widened, and he faced the crushing weight of his decisions. Thoughts and memories swirled amidst the relentless waves. Besides staying afloat, there was nothing to do except face his own thoughts. He recalled the early days when he and his wife, at the time, first suspected something was different about Christopher. He didn't interact, make eye contact, or express himself like other kids his age. Instead, he only screamed and made strange noises. It wasn't until he turned four that he was officially diagnosed with autism. Walt remembered the milestones of Christopher's journey. The first real word at the age of four. The struggle for basic communication and the happiness that filled their home when he finally managed to express his needs. Those milestones, no matter how small they were, were a cause for celebration. They spent their hard-earned money, thousands and thousands, on therapies and tools they hoped would help Chris express himself, but he remained relatively silent. His pleas were etched into his gaze. He had stared at his father as the churning sea held them captive. The boy's eyes once met his father's with innocence and trust, but now they held unspoken questions. Amidst the noise of the ocean, Christopher's silence screamed inside Walt's ears. His heart ached as he watched his son's form grow fainter against the horizon. The light from the lighthouse, ever revolving, was his only point of reference on shore. They'd been adrift for hours, their strength fading. It seemed that the ocean lost its strength, too. Their drift out to sea had slowed, but it was more difficult to gauge their speed or direction. Staying afloat became their sole purpose. Walt's commitment to ensuring Christopher's safety remained steadfast, even in the absence of words. He fought exhaustion, pushing his body beyond its limits. There were no signs of rescue as the dark of night settled around them. The only companions were the rhythmic lapping of the ocean waves and the occasional fin companion that leapt from the water and, of course, the sting of the jellyfish. Christopher's early laughter had been silenced by fear and fatigue. With each breath and every glance at the lighthouse that was growing smaller, Walt held on to the fragile hope that they'd be saved soon. Welcome to Twisted Travel and True Crime. Today's case is a twisted travel case. We all need a break from true crime every now and then. And most of you know, ocean stories tend to catch my eye and hold my attention. I enjoyed this one, and I knew I had to share it with you. I hope you'll float along with me as this episode unfolds. Autism made communication a challenge for young Christopher. While he could say words like hello, goodbye, and thanks, having complex conversations was very difficult but he had a knack for sign language which helped him communicate his needs. It was clear when he liked or didn't like something. If he didn't like something that someone was doing, he would sometimes pull their hair or even bite them. He didn't show much interest in playing with other kids, preferring to drop objects repeatedly, seemingly fascinated by their fall to the floor. Occasionally he would spin in circles as fast as he could. It seemed to calm him and use up some of his excess energy. As Christopher grew, his boundless energy and a lack of understanding of danger became a serious concern. His parents had to be very watchful, especially outside, because he had a tendency to wander off and end up in unexpected places. 
Something that consistently called to Christopher was water. Sometimes the source was as small as a fountain, but what he really enjoyed most was the ocean. It held a special place in his heart. He loved the shallow waters near the rock jetty at Ponce Inlet, where the pale green shoreline curved gracefully. Walt took him there as often as possible, because Christopher, like many autistic children, was drawn to the water. Perhaps it was the sensation, the sounds, or the tranquility it offers to many of us. He couldn't verbalize his deep connection to the ocean, but he expressed it by putting on his swim trunks and standing barefoot on the wooden floor of their house. Sometimes he'd even search for the car keys, and once he'd found them, he'd place them in Walt's hands, expressing his eagerness. He was always ready for an aquatic adventure. As Christopher grew, his time in the water was filled with sounds of his laughter and the rhythmic slapping of his hands in the frothy tide, his gleeful squeals as he climbed onto his father's back. They could spend hours together in the water, swimming and playing, until it was time to head back home. On a sunny Saturday, September 6, 2008, Walt took Christopher to Ponce Inlet, as he did every two weeks during his weekends with the kids. First, he picked Christopher up from the group home where he lived. Then he fetched his 14-year-old daughter, Angela, from her mom's house. They set off in Walt's red Celica, with Christopher sitting beside his dad in the front seat. Angela and her two friends squeezed into the back. It was a perfect day for the beach, and they couldn't resist a stop at Christopher's favorite spot, McDonald's, on their way. Chris savored his double cheeseburgers in a meticulous order, removing the top bun to eat the pickles and lettuce first, then the meat, and finally the bottom bun, and one fry at a time. This routine never varied. He chewed loudly, and sometimes, when he felt anxious, he'd stand beneath the soda fountain spout, trying to catch the streaming, bubbly mixture in his mouth. As Walt watched Chris eat, he tried to put aside an earlier meeting he had with his ex-wife, Robin, and her husband, Ed. He had lost his accounting job a few months ago and had to ask them if he could reduce his child support payments. Though he and Robin had parted their ways eight years ago, they kept their conversations short and to the point. Their conversations only concerned the kids. During this meeting, Robin and Ed agreed to reduce the payments but not eliminate them completely. Afterwards, Robin asked Walt about his plans for the day with the kids. I don't know, Walt had replied, although he really had something in mind, something he knew that Robin wouldn't agree with. The family and his daughter's two friends reached New Smyrna Beach around 6.30 p.m. The five of them walked the long wooden boardwalk, with Christopher trailing behind, head down examining whatever drew his eyes. Walt stayed close to him as the girls moved ahead. In the distance, the Ponce Inlet lighthouse stood tall and distinctly, the most prominent feature on the long shoreline. The boardwalk led to the stairs and descended to the sandy shore. By the time Walt and Christopher reached them, Angela and her friends had ignored the posted warning signs and were gleefully sliding down the dunes, treating them like a playground. After watching them for a while, Walt and Christopher laid down their bags and towels on the firm sand near the water. Wearing floral swim trunks like his dad, Chris ran toward the south jetty, splashing and wading along the rocks. The tide on this side of the jetty appeared calm and inviting. A group of people, fishing with their long poles among the jetty rocks, watched them. 
Walt waded in to join Christopher, unaware that the tide was going out, and was oblivious to the strength of the current. He also didn't know that he was breaking a county ordinance by swimming within 300 feet of a jetty or pier. Robin and Ed had repeatedly asked Walt to avoid putting Christopher in potentially dangerous situations, especially at the beach, but Walt ignored them, believing that being at the beach made Christopher happy, and that's what he wanted for his kids when he had them. Almost immediately, the current seized both father and son. They drifted past the large, wet rocks of the jetty. They were pulled away faster and further from the shoreline. Their feet were no longer able to find solid ground. In just a minute, Walt and Christopher were fifty feet from the shore, with the ocean waves surrounding them. "'Need help?' yelled one of the fishermen at Walt as he watched them bobbing in the water. "'We're okay,' Walt shouted back, giving a thumbs up. He still thought he could manage the situation, and they could swim back safely. After all, they'd waded into these waters so many times before. But this time... The current was much stronger. In another two minutes, they had found themselves 200 yards from shore. Walt realized they were in trouble. His heart pounded as he struggled to stay afloat. Don't come in, he yelled to his daughter, who was now watching him helplessly from the jetty. Call 911! 911! He repeated these frantic instructions, cupping his hands around his mouth and struggling to keep his head above the water as the waves grew but Angela was out of earshot. At the top of the waves, he could see the shoreline. At the bottom, he couldn't see anything. He tried to keep an eye on Christopher's head, the dark brown hair matted and wet, the only part of him visible above the water. Chris was about 20 feet ahead of Walt now, bobbing and laughing hysterically. Walt yelled at Christopher to swim back to the jetty. Come on, let's go, let's swim but they were now being pulled into the middle of the inlet where the current was even stronger. After 20 minutes of struggling, they found themselves about a mile from shore at the mouth of the open ocean. A tall, round, green navigational buoy with a rusted bell clanged back and forth nearby. Walt reached out to grab the buoy, but the current thwarted his efforts. Christopher continued to laugh, seemingly oblivious to the danger the situation, the fading shoreline, and the relentless ocean ahead. They floated right past the buoy, with nothing else in sight to stop them from drifting into the open sea. As the sun began to set, Walt steadied Christopher, who remained buoyant in the water, still laughing. To his son, this was a game, a carefree adventure. Further from shore, with the light diminishing, the land was barely visible. The current seemed to ease, making it difficult to gauge their speed or direction. Staying afloat was the goal now. Walt kept a watchful eye on Christopher, making sure his son's head remained above the four-foot waves. But his thoughts drifted elsewhere. To his parents waiting at home, to the girls left behind on the beach, and sometimes to nothing at all. He forced himself not to think about what might lurk beneath the surface. The only sounds they heard were the constant rhythmic lapping of waves and the occasional slap of fins from the fish. Walt counted the seconds of the lighthouse's revolving light, anticipating the arrival of the Coast Guard, who he believed would come to their rescue soon. They'd been in the water for two hours already. They were cold, and exhaustion was beginning to set in. 
Christopher's laughter had stopped. Walt thought maybe he needed some rest, so he dog-paddled over to his son, grabbed his arm, and let the boy climb onto his back. Walt was a certified lifeguard, thanks to his daughter's involvement in the Girl Scouts. He took a deep breath, then arched his back and allowed his head to dip beneath the surface. His arms were slightly extended from his sides. It was called the dead man's float and was taught as one way to conserve energy. He remained face down in the water for 30-second intervals, resurfacing to clear his eyes, expel the ocean water from his mouth, and wipe his cheeks. Each time he resurfaced, he clutched Christopher's hands and lifted him back onto his back. However, with each breath he took, his strength waned, and after just a few minutes, he came up, clutched his stomach, and vomited violently. Chunks of double cheeseburgers he had eaten floated to the surface, accompanied by bile and other barely digested remnants. He dry heaved until his throat burned. He cried out for help, knowing there was no one there to hear him. Small fish swarmed around their bodies, feasting on the regurgitated meal that had surrounded them. Christopher began to panic. He screamed and grabbed at Walt's hair, pulling clumps of it out. He thrashed around on Walt's back. His weight threatened to submerge his father. Weighing about 120 pounds, Christopher clawed at Walt, tears streaming down his face and his screams piercing the air. In desperation, Walt pulled him off his back, wiped his eyes, and hoarsely implored, Please, Christopher, calm down. Please be a good boy. Christopher stared at Walt with helpless eyes, as if questioning, What are we going to do, Dad? But Walt had no answer. He could barely breathe. Christopher reached out for Walt again, trying to climb out of the water to avoid the fish, and ended up splashing salt water into Walt's eyes. Christopher's weight pushed Walt beneath the surface, and he gulped down a throat full of ocean water, inducing more vomiting. Gasping for air, Walt screamed at Christopher, at their dire situation, and Christopher screamed in response. Walt came to the uncomfortable realization that he had to get away from Chris. If they remained together, with Chris clinging to him and pushing him under, they would both succumb to the sea. The heartbreaking decision was made. Walt pushed his son away, hoping he would be able to stay afloat on his own. The first rescue helicopter had appeared just before nightfall, followed by boats in the distance, their engines slicing through the water. Walt called out to Chris, who drifted about ten feet away. He reassured his son that he was a good boy and an excellent swimmer, pointing to the blinking helicopter high above, saying, Blue lights, blue lights, blue lights coming to get us. Walt felt that Christopher understood. Floating there with high hopes, Walt remembered watching his son float on his back at the YMCA, where Christopher had learned to swim. He spent countless hours there teaching Chris to float. He had looked adorable in his green goggles, with a huge smile plastered to his face. He'd walk along the steps, feeling the water on the tops of his feet, before taking the first chilly dive into the pool. Walt would then show Chris how to fill his stomach with air, enabling him to float. Then Walt would pull him around in the pool. In these moments, Walt had thought of Christopher as just another boy at the YMCA. The lifeguards knew him by name and always let him pick out a foam noodle from the utility closet to play with in the water. He'd pick the same green one every single time. Those were the moments when Christopher was just a regular boy, laughing and gazing up at the ceiling 
that was painted to resemble the sky. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Out in the sea, as the sun dipped its toes into the water and the light began to fade, Christopher bobbed in and out of Walt's line of sight. Walt tried to keep him talking, reciting lines from Christopher's favorite Disney movies. Chris loved them. His focus became so intense that it was hard to separate him from the screen. His favorite scene was Buzz Lightyear in Toy Story, flying into space and declaring, To infinity and beyond. To infinity, Walt shouted over the waves, waiting for Christopher's response. To infinity, Christopher. And beyond, came Christopher's reply, as he pumped his tiny fist into the air. Walt mimicked the gesture in the water, despite trying to conserve his energy. After a while, the first helicopter left, and another took its place. Its blue light flickered over the open water. Looking out toward the black sky, Walt began to wave his arms, certain now that no one could hear him. Christopher pounded his fist against the waves. A group of jellyfish interrupted them, swimming into Walt's and Christopher's legs, clutching onto them and burning like strands of electric hair. Christopher shrieked, then Walt was lifted up at the same time as Christopher was lowered. When the wave evened, Christopher was even further away, thirty or forty feet. Walt tried to swim toward him, flapping his arms as hard as he could. A second wave lifted Christopher and Walt was caught on the other side. When the wave broke, Christopher was no longer there. Panic set in. Walt thrashed around in the water calling for his son. For half an hour, he yelled, begging for Christopher to answer. He had given up conserving energy and had been swimming as hard as he could to try and find his son. Who's my best boy? Nothing. Christopher, who's my buddy? The fish brushed against his back and his legs. Christopher! Walt spun in every direction, trying to spot the small white face and the dark brown hair, but Chris was gone. Walt wiped his eyes, took a breath, the realization was dark and fathomless as the ocean itself. Christopher was dead. Walt stopped yelling. He shivered as a trail of bright green phosphorescence floated past him. He stared at it, amazed by its arrival, the only color on the sea, passing behind him like lights beneath the water. He told himself it was probably a peaceful death. Maybe Christopher just got tired and finally let go, slipping underneath the ocean. But Walt's mind couldn't fully accept that. Christopher was a terrific swimmer. He had nine lives, Walt liked to say. Maybe he was playing a game. Maybe he was floating just beyond where Walt could see. Maybe he just wanted to be alone for a while. Walt thought about one of the many times that Christopher had wandered off. He was eventually found in a fountain at a local mall. To reach the fountain, he had crossed busy streets, navigated winding roads, and ended up splashing in the fountain in his underwear, surrounded by pennies that were tossed in by people making wishes. Other times, he'd wandered off from places like the hardware store, 
or his grandparents' house. They would often find him playing in water. At first it was the lake in their old neighborhood, then the retention pond at the end of the street. Then the one day when the police had to send a helicopter to search for him. Then it was a neighbor's pool. He was found floating on his back naked. The neighbors called the cops who came and pulled Christopher out. That's when they saw the silver chain bracelet on his left wrist with his identification and phone number. After each of these episodes, which tended to happen when Walt was in charge, Robin became furious with him. She no longer trusted him with Christopher. When Chris was out of his mom's sight, she and her husband were on edge. When they had the boy, they held his hand, always. Walt, however, wanted Christopher to experience life like any other child. He wanted Chris to be able to take a walk along the boardwalk, alone and untethered, to feel the beach sand beneath his feet and to breathe the fresh air, to make his own choices. Walt hated the label autistic. He weighed the good days, like swimming together at the YMCA, sitting together in a church pew or having an incident-free meal at McDonald's, against the tantrums, the outbursts, and the moments when Chris would suddenly attack him, sinking his teeth into his arm. During these outbursts, Walt would break down, asking Chris why he would harm his own father. For every good day, there was always a reminder of the challenging ones. But now Christopher was gone. Walt chastised himself for bringing them to the beach. He should have stayed home, rented a movie, anything but this. He wouldn't be able to face his own family. He wouldn't know what to say to his parents, his daughter, the Coast Guard, but especially Christopher's mother. The guilt consumed him. He was responsible for his son's death. In his despair, he contemplated taking his own life. He sobbed. His tears mixed with the salt water on his face felt warm as they poured out of his eyes. He took a deep breath, exhaled, and began to let himself sink beneath the surface. But then he remembered Angela. He had nearly forgotten about her. He kicked his legs and resurfaced, coughing up yet another mouthful of water. Angela needed her father. The ocean, at dawn, was a beautiful sight. Walt had thought the night might never end. He saw the birds dive into the water, stretching their wings. A seagull, white, with crystal black eyes, landed nearby and looked directly at him, its orange beak seeming to invite Walt to conversation. He seemed connected to all forms of life, from the fish swimming on the ocean surface to the blue hue of the ocean. His body ached with cold. His hands and wrists were swollen and stiff his lips chapped and bleeding. His tongue was swollen and his lips were dry. He started to feel numbness settle in, which actually made him feel slightly warmer. He believed he had floated much further out, but without any point of reference, he couldn't be sure. No one knew which way he had drifted from Ponce Inlet. He was grateful that he'd survived the night, but he didn't know why he felt that way. He gazed ahead, shielding his face from the sun with his arm, then looked back down at the water, thinking of Christopher. At 7.15, on the deck of the recreational fishing boat named the Open Range, Sean McMichael noticed a sparkle on the water. He turned his head. While the others on deck gazed toward the horizon, something glittered, something reflective. Maybe it was a mylar balloon from a cruise ship. 
he looked again and saw movement. Stanley Scott, the boat's owner, realized that it was a man floating alone and waving his arms. They slowed the boat and turned, approaching within fifty feet of the man. "'How'd you get here?' Stanley shouted. "'Where's your boat?' The man was delirious, shouting incessantly, making it impossible to hold a conversation. He kept asking about someone named Christopher. The crew gently maneuvered closer, extending a boat pole for him to grab onto, and brought the man to the platform at the back of the boat. It took two men to lift him on board. He was drenched, swollen, pale, shivering, and lined with jellyfish stings on his legs. The man wore a silver pendant that hung below his chin. That was what had caught Sean's attention. "'I lost him!' the man exclaimed. They settled him on a beanbag at the back of the boat. "'I lost him!' he continued to repeat, shouting. The crew tried to calm him down and asked who Christopher was. "'Christopher! Christopher! Have you seen him? Oh, my God, have you seen him?' The crew handed him a bottle of water, which he drank, six more following, in quick succession. In between swigs of water, he keeps repeating, "'He's a great swimmer. He's a great swimmer.' Oh, God, he's gone. Walt told his rescuers what was an almost unbelievable story. According to their calculations, he had drifted nine miles out into the ocean northeast of Ponce Inlet. The crew listened in stunned silence in awe of the man's tale. Then they radioed the Coast Guard, letting them know they had found a man named Walter Marino, but that his autistic son was still missing. Walt sat on the beanbag in the boat, shivering and crying, as he called his younger sister, Linda. He told her he was alive. She wept with relief. The night before, she'd been unable to sleep, knowing her brother and nephew were missing. She had stayed up with her elderly parents, seeking guidance from the church's pastor on what to do. We're going to pray for a miracle, he had advised her. His ex-wife and her husband couldn't sleep either, They were worried sick about Christopher. Angela had gone to bed thinking about her father's wish to have his ashes scattered, unable to remember where. Walt told his sister that Christopher was still missing and that he had been in the ocean for 13 hours now. Then he made the phone call he'd been dreading. He called Robin, his ex. When she picked up, he said with a weak and raspy voice, Tell Angela I'm alive. Walt, she shouts. We've lost Christopher, he says, his teeth gritted, knowing what was coming. What? What? How? Where is he? She's hysterical, asking about her son. She's talking so fast, asking so many questions that he doesn't want to answer, so he hangs up on her. At nine in the morning, an orange and white Coast Guard boat approaches the open range. For an hour and a half, Walt had been sitting on the beanbag, moaning. He was transferred to the Coast Guard vessel, where they asked him if he wanted to go to the hospital, or he could stay on the boat while they continued to search for Christopher. Let's go, Walt said, choosing to stay aboard the ship while they searched, but he remained below in the cabin. He couldn't bear the thought of being present when someone spotted Christopher's lifeless body. An officer assigned to keep an eye on him sat across from him, saying, You look like you regret something. Do you regret something? Walt simply shook his head, unable to speak. The Jayhawk helicopter approached from Clearwater, 
flying low above the northeastern Florida sky. Its bright orange tail and white striped body resembled Nemo, the clownfish, from the movie Finding Nemo. Flying just twenty feet above the water, they were searching for the twelve-year-old boy. The helicopter circled, lowering to fifty feet initially, scanning the water's surface when a flight mechanic on board saw something. It was what looked like dark brown hair and a white face floating in the tide line. As they approached, they saw a body there, bobbing in the water. They saw seagulls diving and hitting the water as they descended further, flying as low as they could. Tom Emmerich, a rescue swimmer, prepared to enter the water. He was already wearing a wetsuit, but he pulled on his mask before being lowered twenty feet down. He kept his eyes focused on the small figure in the water below. As he drew closer, he could see the boy's pale eyes as they stared back at him, unblinking. But the sight of those eyes brought relief to Tom. His face broke into a friendly, reassuring smile. Christopher was alive. Emmerich signaled for the helicopter to lower the rescue basket. How are you doing? My name's Tom. He spoke calmly and quietly as the rescue basket was lowered into the water and Christopher was placed carefully inside. It was 9.15 a.m. and three miles away from where his father had been found two hours earlier. The helicopter made its way back to its starting place, another Coast Guard ship. Christopher was brought on board. He was cold, shivering, and soaked, and had long red scars from jellyfish stings on his legs. The crew draped a blanket around him and offered him water. Walt, still aboard the first Coast Guard rescue vessel, was elated to receive the news that Christopher had been found alive. He couldn't believe it. His son was safe. Tears of relief, replenished and rehydrated by life-giving water, streamed down his face once more as he realized they had been given a second chance. Christopher was safe, and Walt knew that he had to be there for his son. The Coast Guard boat took him back to shore, where he was reunited with Christopher. As the rescue operation ended, the crew members of the open range stood in awe of the miraculous turn of events. They had found a father who had survived a harrowing night at sea, and later his missing son who also defied the odds and had been rescued after drifting for hours in the open ocean. Walt's decision to hold on to life had paid off. Now he had the opportunity to hold his son in his arms once again. In this moment, there was an overwhelming gratitude for the safe return of Christopher, Walt's little buddy, who had been lost at sea and found against all odds. Walt sometimes finds himself lost in thought, replaying that fateful night and the miraculous rescue over and over in his mind. He thinks about Christopher's resilience, his ability to endure the night in the open ocean and the incredible bond they shared as father and son. Months pass, and Walt's routine continues. He works in Vancouver, Washington, and visits Florida every two weeks to spend time with Christopher and Angela. The relationship with Robin and Ed remains strained, but he's determined to be a part of his children's lives. As he gazes out the window of his hotel room, the rain drizzles down on the glass, and Walt thinks about the future. He dreams of a day when he can have a conversation with Christopher, 
and hear his son's perspective on that unforgettable night. Maybe he can understand what it was like for him out there in the dark and vast ocean. He clings to the hope that Christopher experienced moments of wonder and curiosity amid the challenges he faced that night. And while the challenges of raising an autistic child continue to test him, Walt remains committed to being the best father he can be. He holds on to the memory of their beach outing, the laughter and the joy they shared, and the bond that endures, despite the difficulties they faced. In his heart, Walt knows that their journey is far from over, but he faces the future with determination and an unshakable love for his son, Christopher. A boy who defied the odds and found his way back from the depths of the ocean. We have a happy ending and a little break from Murder and Mayhem. My primary source for this episode is an article in Men's Journal called A Father and Son Lost at Sea by Justin Heckert. Justin is a fantastic writer. I hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you're missing the Murder and Mayhem, don't worry, we'll be back at it next week. If you enjoy what you heard today, please rate and review, do all the good things, and... As always, I wish you all fair winds, following seas, and safe travels of all kinds. Twisted Travel and True Crime, over and out.